Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Acts chapter 12, verse 18 to verse 25. So we come to the end of the chapter. It's a remarkable end to a remarkable chapter. It's a strange end to the man called Herod. Do you remember Herod? He was the despotic, cloud-pleasing, ruthless, bloodthirsty politician who reigned Judea at the whim of the Romans, ruled Judea at the whim of the Romans. And Herod, remember, earlier in the chapter, had declared war on the church and had done that for purely political reasons. He had put James to death using the sword. He'd put Peter in prison. He was awaiting trial and for sure awaiting execution. And of course then, as we noticed earlier in the chapter, what happens is legendary. Peter's divine rescue from the jail, his reception at the prayer meeting of the church, his great testimony of how the Lord had delivered him. God rescued Peter from the bondage that was imposed by the wicked King Herod. But Herod doesn't get away with it. You see, one of the things that we are taught in the scriptures, and we'll see this in a moment, more closely, is that sin always has consequences. Sin always has consequences. God does not tolerate sin. And the Lord always vindicates his church. And he will not permit Herod's disgraceful behavior against his church to go unpunished. So in three steps, Herod is going to experience, first of all, the anger of a king, the apparel of a clown, the appointment of a fool. And finally, after those three steps are complete, we'll see the accomplishment of the word. The anger of a king the apparel of a clown, the appointment of a fool, the accomplishment of the word of God. Very simple, isn't it? The anger of a king. I don't know what had happened, but Herod had lost face. Um, well, we know what had happened in the history of the, of the book. He had lost face. He went down from Judea to Caesarea, we're told in verse uh, 19. He had lost a prisoner. He had lost, he put Peter in prison, and Peter had been set free, and Herod um, wasn't too happy about that. In verse 18, it tells us that as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. That was the common punishment for failure of duty. That a man entrusted with the custody of a prisoner should suffer the same fate that the prisoner would have suffered. 
So Herod had no qualms whatsoever about putting to death that squad of 16 soldiers who had failed to keep Peter in his cell. He was angry with his centuries. Anger of a king. But he wasn't just angry with his centuries, he was angry with his subjects. Herod was engaged in some kind of a dispute with the people who lived in the coastal region called Phoenicia. Now for Herod, this is a source of much anger. He was very angry. If you look at verse 20, it says Herod was highly displeased. Um, don't know what the dispute was about, but he was seriously angry. Perhaps I think that the language here of the AV is a little generous. Um, I think totally enraged might be a better way to express the depth of his anger. And as we've already discovered, Herod and the family from which he came were not exactly noted for their anger control management. After all, it was Herod's grandfather, this Herod, Herod Agrippa I, it was his grandfather who had slaughtered all the innocent children at the time of the birth of Jesus. And Herod was full of violent hostility towards the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now for them, that was a disaster. Think what about these people for a moment. These people were right on the coast living. So they were seafarers. They were sailors. They went out in sailing boats. Do you know, the sailors from ancient Phoenicia travelled right across the Mediterranean and up round the coast of Spain and into the English Channel to Cornwall. And they picked up tin from the Cornish tin mines and they sailed all the way back with it and they brought it to Tyre and Sidon. That's how far these people went. The problem was, what happens when you get it to Tyre and Sidon? What happens when you bring your ships home and they're full of the world's markets, full of the world's goods, maritime nations like Phoenicia? They need the land routes kept open. They need to be able to take their goods that they've brought into their ports and have them transported further afield, up into Turkey, across to Mesopotamia, down through Judea, into Egypt. They had to be shipped onwards. And a dispute with King Herod would certainly put an end to that. For they had to pass through Judea. So the people of Tyre and Sidon had this disaster on their hands. He was, it was necessary that Herod should be friends diplomatically with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So he's right now at Caesarea and he's living there. In verse 20, he was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon and they had to do something about it. So because, at the bottom of the verse, because their country was nourished by the king's country, because they needed that trade, they did what every other nation does. They bribed an official. It's what you do if you're a politician, isn't it? The people of Tyre and Sidon bribed a man called Blastus, 
who arranged for a diplomatic gesture to be made. Now, Blastus, we're told in the Bible here, was the king's chamberlain. He was neither new friend. And he made arrangements for a grand civic reception that Herod would address the people, the representatives of the people of Phoenicia. And now that his ego was thoroughly stroked, he would make a grand speech. He would declare the friendship between their two great countries. It would be an international treaty to rival Brexit. Only the other way round. So we have the anger of a king. And then we have the apparel of a clown. Look at verse 21. On a set day, Herod arrived in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. The Bible just tells us that Herod was dressed in royal apparel. But remember what we learned at the start of this chapter. These are historical events. Actually, I've got a good recommendation for you. If you've got access to an iPhone or one of these other similar devices or a computer, and you can get on to some of the podcast websites, find this week's podcast by the White Horse Inn. And when you download it, it has uh, an excellent podcast this week on the book of Acts and how we know that the book of Acts is a historical account. A very learned person helping us to understand that. So these are real events. And of course there are events that are not only described in the book of Acts, they're described in contemporary historical sources as well. Um, The Jewish historian Josephus records this event in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, this very same thing. And he wasn't Uh, writing under the inspiration of God. He's just simply a historian. And he describes the scene as Herod makes his way into the auditorium to make his speech. Imagine this. Herod arrives, literally, according to Josephus, clad in a silver gown. I wonder what he looked like. Something like Elvis Presley arriving at the front with this big silver gown on him. And as he came in, the silver gown, according to Josephus, reflected the sun and created this kind of halo effect all around him. And of course, the people of Tyre and Sidon, they're pagans, they're superstitious people. When they see this man standing and the sun shining off his gown, they begin to think a God has come among us and they get down on their knees and they start to worship Herod. Now, what did Herod do? Well, you know just a wee bit about Herod's personality. You can imagine how Herod would react to such undeserved adulation, can't you? He accepted their worship. He must have held up his hands like a celebrity waved at them like he was some great person. You know how Herod liked to be liked. 
He wanted to be liked by the Romans. He wanted to be liked by the Jews. That's why he put James to death and put Peter in prison. He wanted to keep his position. He wanted to do trade deals so that Rome would be pleased with him. He loved it when he stood up and the people began to applaud and they got down on their knees and they began to bow down. Hail Herod. And why shouldn't they? Sure isn't Caesar worshipped as a god in Rome. A wee bit of that for Herod. What difference would it make? And yet when he did it, he broke God's law. He sinned. In taking the worship that wasn't due to him, that was due only to God. Of course he sinned right throughout this whole chapter, didn't he? The sin of opposing God in verse 1 to 4, where he persecutes the Lord's church. The sin of murder ruthlessly murdering an innocent man, a man called James. The sin of worldliness in verse 3. A man pleaser who loved the world and loved power and loved position and loved influence and all the lifestyle that came with his terrible position. The sin of hypocrisy, pretending to be a righteous Jew, Observing all the laws and the customs of the Pharisees just to keep the Jews content, just to hold on to his position. The sin of pride in verse 21. He must have loved that moment as he sat in his royal throne, all dressed in his finery, making an oration to fawning subjects. And the sin of self-exaltation. And that brings us to the appointment of a fool. For in verse 23, it says, Immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. See, God only tolerates sin and evil for a limited time. It's good that we have a God who is long-suffering with us and merciful. A God who desires all men everywhere to repent of their sins, turn to him for salvation. But Herod had hardened his heart and he'd refused God's mercy. And the day of God's wrath has arrived. And the day of Herod's downfall has come. And that day while he sat on his royal throne and he basked in the adulation of his subjects, God smote Herod with an awful pain. Josephus confirms this. He puts the time of his death from that pain as five days later. Luke, in his brevity here, simply notes that worms ate his body and he died. John Stott, commentating on this, records Dr. Rendell Short in his book, The Bible and Modern Medicine. 
And notes that Short was aware of a prevailing problem among the people of that area. A great number of people harboring, I'm sorry about this, it'll ruin your whole evening, harboring intestinal worms, which have caused an acute obstruction. And of course, no cure was available. And Herod, struck with that pain at that very time, died an agonizing death. That's the facts of history that we're recording. Here's the theology. Romans 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ezekiel 18 and verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Proverbs 11 and verse 19. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. The anger of a king. Herod anger with his centuries at losing the prisoner, Peter. Anger with his subjects, so much so that he was cajoled into making this, this dramatic gesture. The apparel of a clown dressing in that ostentatious way to get the adulation of the people and glorying in it when he got it. The appointment of a fool for the soul that sins shall die and every one of us one day shall keep that appointment. We're reminded of the foolish farmer, the man who built up his barns, built bigger ones, knocked down the barns that he had, built bigger ones. In the parable, we're told that when he said, Eat, drink, and be merry this day, thy soul, let thy soul be at ease, and eat, drink, be content with what you've got, no build more. And that night his soul was required of him. It was appointed unto men once to die after the judgment anger of a king the apparel of a clown the appointment of a fool lastly then we move away from Herod and his wicked ways to look at the accomplishment of the Lord's word it's interesting that in verse 24 there's only a handful of words We've heard a lot about Herod's death. Verse 24 begins with but. There's a contrast. Herod has gone. His wickedness has come to naught. But the word of God grew and multiplied. You see, the word of the Lord is unstoppable. It grew. It is unbeatable. It is unfaltering. First Peter 
Chapter 1 and verse 24 to 25 tells us that all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fails away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. See, despite his best efforts, Herod the king could not stop the word of God. And the Sanhedrin could not stop the word of God. And forces have been opposed to God's word. The communists banned the preaching of the word of God. They locked up the preachers, the modernists and the higher critics and the liberals and the academics and the atheists have tried to stop it. Pastor Jeff Thomas of Aberyst with Baptist Church Uh, Speaking at a conference I was attending once told of how the 1859 revival had come to Aberystwyth and how great was the blessing that was experienced there during that. But in 1872, Aberystwyth opened its university. And along came all the learning and all the intellectualism. And of course the local preachers in the town began to appeal to the academy. And the preaching in the churches ceased to be spiritual and became terribly academic. And the glory of God departed from the town. And according to him, Jeff Thomas, history records that there was no gospel preacher in Aberystwyth for over 50 years. Until... The Baptist Church in 1948 called again a godly pastor who stood in the pulpit proclaimed the gospel. Flawed learning of men tried to extinguish the gospel flame, but the word of the Lord endures and abides forever. Others have tried. Nowadays we hear so much about people talking about the science We're working by the science. They've tried. The science. The Roman Catholic Church, the feminist movement, ecumenism, the Muslims are all arrayed against the word of God. But God has spoken through his word. The word of God grew. And the word of God is flourishing because it grew and it multiplied. And so it's always been. Isaiah 55 and verse 11 tells us that so shall my word be that goeth forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish that for which is sent. So the accomplishment of God's word contrasted with the death of this terrible sinner. It simply says the word grew multiplied. So at the beginning of the chapter we saw Herod running amok among the young Christian church at Jerusalem, arresting and murdering the leaders among the flock of God. James is now dead. Peter was imprisoned. Herod riding high in the popularity polls in Jerusalem and Rome. And yet by the end of the chapter the entire situation is reversed. 
Peter is free. Herod is dead. And once again, the word of the Lord is triumphant. What a turnaround. At the beginning of the chapter, it looked like the poor church was on its knees, powerless. And they prayed. And the situation is reversed. And the word of God is triumphant. And while all this persecution is going on at Jerusalem, Paul is there with Barnabas. They've brought relief from the people at Antioch for the church at Jerusalem to help with the famine there. And now their ministry is over in Jerusalem and they're going to return to Antioch. And I'm sure that while he's at Jerusalem, Paul is undergoing the training that would prepare him for his ministry. Further disciples are being taught. Uh, Paul is witnessing the power of God to change circumstances at first hand. And a new name has appeared too, a young man called John Mark. A young man destined by God to become the writer of one of the four Gospels. So next week, God willing, we'll start to look at chapter 13. A really important transitional chapter in the book of Acts.